and welcome to a new episode of the Between the Posts podcast. And today we will talk about El Clasico without Messi, without Ramos, but still with pretty big qualities on display. But also some tactics we can talk about, some Real Madrid tactics that were okay, fun to talk about, some Kuman Barcelona tactics that were a bit strange. Maybe we'll discuss all of it. And we've been here to talk about this match is Jose Perez. Jose, welcome. Hello, Eric, and hello, everyone. At this point, I mean, at some point, the Clásico could have been called the best football game in the world. Right now, it is very far away from being called that. that. Yeah. Yes. It's, uh, I guess the right word is decaffeinated. It just doesn't have the quality, both player and tactical, that it had before. And we've been saying that for a couple of years already. In yeah. I've, I'm under the impression we did this exact intro like three times already, but still. Yes. And um, it's still even, a bit like that. Even on a day that is called Super Sunday by all the sports marketeers, I do believe it is still the biggest game of this day. And that we chose that one. And of course, because you know everything about Real Madrid, so that's fun. But before we talk about football, why are all the matches on the same day? Like this match, Liverpool-Manchester United, Inter against Juventus, which is arguably the biggest game in Italy, Paris Saint-Germain against Marseille, Le Classique. In the Netherlands, we had Ajax against PSV. Why is that done? Is that deliberate? And if so... Is it good this way? Should it be the other way around? Like I don't think it's deliberate. I just think it's a big coincidence. I I can't imagine it being deliberate because I don't think any broadcaster would purposefully want to put all the big games together. That's actually not good because you don't because people don't get to watch all the big games. So for example, I was watching Ajax PSV live and I rewatched this because it overlapped. And I didn't watch a second of Liverpool against Manchester United. So that's not was there much second half of that Liverpool game to watch or no, but it could have been. So I mean, I, I mean, I could, you could watch it if like you are really anti Manchester United and just want to have fun. But sure. Uh, Anyways, we chose this one, and we have a tip for the league uh, fixture uh, roster makers. Spread it out a bit more. Jose, tell me a bit about how both teams arrive in this classico. <laughs> what's the what's the state of both teams? What's what's going on? So I would say that. Both, to be honest, both teams are tactically inconsistent. Are well, are generally inconsistent teams. One team more inconsistent than the other. With Barcelona, with Barcelona, the thing is that not only are they inconsistent, but I generally see this team play, and I don't see what the mechanisms are. Like I don't see does this team has like uh, a mechanism to play out of the back or to reach the final third to create a goal. Mm-hmm. It, they don't really have mechanisms. The only thing that they have is players, it, really good players trying to improvise something. And that's all really there is right now to Barcelona, which means that some perform, like it's super irregular. One week you see them have a really nice performance because the players are inspired. Then the other, the next week, it's completely gone. It's a completely different team. So this is a team that the play that, that depends almost entirely on player inspiration. And that's uh, that's a tough one. Real Madrid does have a bit more mechanisms. It's just that they were also super inconsistent uh, in the previous two months because of defense, because they were trying to press and failed at it. And recently, Ancelotti has finally been switching that up and defending a bit deeper, which has given the team 
a bit more stability. So I would say that both teams came into this being pretty inconsistent, but Barcelona, one, being more inconsistent and also just in a worse mood. Like there's more pessimism surrounding Barcelona. With Real Madrid, there was some frustration over the results, but there was Mm -hmm. a bit more optimism, especially because you see guys like Vinicius and Rodrigo that are stepping up and just it looks like they are still developing and and just producing more goals and assists. So it looks like mm. they are made that they are making the leap. Let's talk a bit about lineups. It would have made for an interesting juxtaposition here, but I am not a Barcelona fan. I'm not sure if you've noticed, Jose, since you are here in the Netherlands, but a lot of people have Barcelona either as their favorite club or as their favorite club from another country. But uh, there are a lot of Barcelona fans in the Netherlands. Such connection. It also, I mean, yeah. I, maybe it's all because they really like Puman. I mean, what a likable per- what a likable sure. person. Uh, that being not- said, if I were Dutch, I would also support Barcelona just but just for Memphis. <laughs> yeah, it's just lots of Dutch players in the past. Huge Cruyff connection, of course. But I'm not Barcelona fan. Uh, only Frankie fan, of course. But still, I think Kuman kind of rolled out his formation that you could have expected, which was in line with what he did in the past few weeks. Still 4-3-3, of course, Ter Stegen in goal. Uh, Jordi Alba made it just in time, which means the defense is Mingueza, Eric Garcia, Piquet and Alba. Araujo is a big absence for them. Uh, arguably their best defender this season. Garcia and Piquet mm, didn't do too well whenever they were played together. Now, up front, there's a little surprise, but I'll talk about the midfield first. It's Busquets, Frenkie de Jong and Gavi. Pedri, of course, still out, which is uh, disappointing. One little quirk was that Gavi played on the right side of midfield and Frankie played on the left. So a left-footed player at the right central midfielder and a right-footed player at left central midfielder. Memphis, after playing kind of strong as a number nine in a 4-3-3, is now played on the left more, even though he has a lot of freedom to drift inside if he wants to. Ansu Fati plays as the nine, but of course is not an out-and-out nine traditional striker, so he as well has a lot of freedom. And then on the right wing, we have Serginho Dest, Dutch-born international from USA. That's puzzling to me. If Kuman thinks that is the solution, okay. I don't really see it. I think he is a right back, albeit a strong one, albeit one who has a lot of physical quality, albeit one that has a lot of technical quality, but it's not a winger. He does not have the qualities to be a winger at this level. But yeah, for the past few weeks, it has been tried and it went kind of okay with him, Dest, in that position. So they stuck to it. But we'll talk about that uh, a bit more later. Uh, What about Real Madrid? Yes. So in the case of Real Madrid, they also kind of went with the formation that you would expect. This is very much the same lineup that played against Shakhtar during the weekdays. Shakhtar was a very promising 5-0 win. And I would say that's why Ancelotti just decided, okay, if it isn't isn't broken, don't fix it. So let's uh, let's just drop the same lineup there. And yeah, it's the names that you would expect. So Courtois at goal, Ferland Mendy back happily for everyone at left back. Then you have this center back pairing of Alaba and Militao that has finally settled and it looks like it's going to be the starting center back pairing for Real Madrid. Then you have what we consider to be the the weakest link in this lineup, which is Lucas Vazquez as right back, who's struggled to put out good defensive performances. Then the midfield, the midfield trio, the classic, you know this one by heart, Kroos, Casemiro, Modric. And then the front three, Benzema, a.k.a. the Ballon d'Or candidate for this year. Mm, and mm, 
<laughs> Vinicius on the left, who keeps churning out good performances, great performances. And Rodrigo, who maybe has a lower profile, is less flashy than Vinicius, but he's a pretty smart player. And I think each year he gets a bit more productive. So that's Real Madrid's lineup. All in all, uh, that is, uh, it is what we expected. So no surprises there from Ancelotti. You say low profile, but I think Rodrigo was bought for like 40 million when he was 18 years old. Yes, the said, the transfer of the player was not as low profile. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's not really low profile. Anyways, first half begins. And yeah, what we see, I kind of expected it, honestly, that Madrid didn't really press. They were like, yeah, just, just play the ball around. We know you have, as you mentioned earlier, Jose, we know Barcelona do not have the mechanisms in place to play a good possession game. And for my feeling, but I'm not sure how you view it because you watch them a lot more, but for my feeling, they were just like, just let those guys pass the ball around and we will kill them with Vinicius against Mingueza. Yes, that is part of the issue. But the other thing is that Real Madrid has been very bad defensively whenever they have tried to press. They haven't been do- been able to do it well under Ancelotti. So even if Barcelona had a slow possession game, I think it would have, it would have made them easier for them if Real Madrid had gone out to press them. So Ancelotti mm-hmm. already made this decision on the weekdays against Shakhtar, and he kept it here, which is we're just going to keep the the lower defensive block of 4-1-4-1, basically, and just let these guys pass it around. And then when we get the ball, we have really good counterattack launchers. This is a team that can, uh, with a team with Alaba, Modric, and Kroos can easily get the ball, get the ball to, like, just steal the ball, get the ball to one of these guys, and then they're going to give a pinpoint pass to Benzema or Vinicius, who are going to be very good at running in behind the Barcelona defense. And that was pretty much the objective and the whole the whole method that Real Madrid mm-hmm. decided to play uh, around with this game. Just let Barcelona come to you and then just send the ball to, to the guys up front. Yeah, and that was pretty effective, as we could see in the entire first half. But before we dig into that, what do you make of Barcelona's defensive approach so Madrid also had some build-ups for themselves of course to me Barcelona just looked outdated man if I looked at uh, how they how they were pressing and stuff like just old-fashioned tactics to stop Real Madrid yes I mean the thing about the Kuman system is that it's very uh, it's highly man marking based and that includes uh that that's not just man marking during pressing but even when the team retreats a bit you still see the man marking. So it ends up in situations where the defense can end up uh, very, very disordered. So one thing that's, that works really well against this Barcelona is to just keep the ball in their territory for a while and then just move it around. Like if you, and especially if you have a footballer like Tony Kroos, it's really easy to get them disordered because of these man marking assignments the defense gets com- it crumbles whenever you do move the ball quickly from one side to the other. To be honest, Real Madrid didn't really take advantage of that because mm. they really did not keep this was not a game of long possessions at all. Like Real Madrid did not no. keep the ball for extended periods of time. So they weren't really able to take advantage of that. The main thing that they took advantage of is that whenever Barcelona went went out to press them, then they could punish the pressing by getting uh, by getting the ball to to Vinicius and have him run past the, the Barcelona defensive line. Mm. 
Another small tactical point is that Memphis in his left winger position was basically pitted against Lucas Vasquez. Of course, not all the time one versus one, but still, that was his direct opponent. I wasn't really satisfied with him today with Memphis. How do you view that? That's kind of what I was wondering. I I don't know. Of course, the system doesn't really help any of the Barcelona players at all. Like no Barcelona player is boosted by the current system because there's no system. So it is true that that doesn't never makes things easy for Memphis, but it is true. But I did expect a bit more. And I wouldn't say that Lucas Vasquez was uh, great in defensive aspects, but I really don't think that Barcelona and Memphis really made the best uh, made the best out of that situation. It, it they wasn't didn't make like the Memphis. most out of it. They could have exploited it a bit more, I think. Yes, and and that's the thing. Like, there's a lot of combination play from, but it's it's really interesting just how uh, under Kuman, just all of their combination play has kind of disappeared. A lot of mechanisms have just disappeared, even small stuff like combining so that Alba can then make kind of a run in behind. Those things, now you almost don't see it. I only remember, and I think I wrote that down in the notes. I think I saw a combination like that. Yeah, 44th minute, like a good collective play when like Busquets sends like a lop, lop pass towards Alba. Those kinds of plays that involve Alba don't exist anymore with Barcelona, which to me is kind of kind of shocking at this point real madrid did good adjustments and they i do think rodrigo and modric were very supportive of lucas and they were and they did all their best to not put lucas in a in a disadvantageous situation so they you never saw lucas in kind of a 2v1 like he wasn't at a numerical disadvantage at any time and even in situations where he was one versus one those guys were tracking back rather quickly to help him. So it is true that Real Madrid also, in this deeper block, had a better system in place to support Lucas. So that's the other thing. Even when, even if Memphis could have had a superiority over Lucas, he couldn't enjoy it for a long time. So that is mm. also something that I think Real Madrid's deeper defensive block did well. Sure. Do you want to talk about the chances in the first half for a bit, Jose? Because I think Barcelona had more shots, but Real Madrid had bigger chances. Yes, although I would say that the biggest chance, like if we look at XG, probably the biggest chance was the one that Dest flew over. Honestly, that that was one of the few really good moves from Barcelona, I think. And it's a huge chance, but still... It's just, the, yeah, it can happen to anyone, you know. I don't think that's particularly because he's a defender, you know. It can happen, but it's still... So, I rarely, rarely say this, but that's a chance that maybe should have gone in. Because I always say, oh, finishing is harder than you think. If you think it really should have gone in, it's probably a one in three chance. Uh, but this one, yeah, hmm, should have scored well, that mate. XG will probably flag this as what? Like a one in three chance or something? like. It will flag it like this, a one in three Let's sure, see. but that was Barcelona's chance of the first yeah. half. Um, but that was the, that was their biggest chance. I would say that was the biggest chance of the first half, and that was like a good. Sure. That was a good situation with Memphis. Like Real Madrid's defense has weaknesses that can be exploited, but Barcelona does not have the collective structure. They just don't have the coaching and tactics to really exploit it because you see these isolated situations from Barcelona players where they can actually 
find advantages against Real Madrid defenders, but they only happen like once each of them during the game. You yeah. don't see them exploiting these things repeatedly. There are no patterns in this team. Because mm. Why do I mention this? Because this is a situation where Memphis goes and drags at, like drops deeper. He drags defenders out of position. One of the things you could have taken advantage of in this game is that Alaba and Militao are very aggressive defenders. So you can go drag them out of position and then Memphis, who's really good on the turn, can easily, say, turn and then get a pass to, say, Fati running in behind or Dest running in behind. But those kinds of things weren't really exploited consistently by Barcelona. But anyways, I, I mention all this because this is kind of what happened during that 24th minute chance where Ter Stegen finds Memphis with a goal kick. He goes past Militao because Militao went into him like really aggressively. So it was easy for Memphis to just turn around and keep going. And then he manages to send the ball into the box. Fatih lets it pass kind of as a decoy kind of thing. And then get and then the ball gets to Dest, who just flies it over, flies it over the bar. But that was that should have that really should have been a goal. And so that I was, kept you off talking about Vinicius for a bit, but now you can do it because in terms of Real Madrid's chances, there was a lot of Vinicius going on, eh? Mm-hmm. And even the situations that did not end up in chances, I mean, most of their play was really, a lot of this just really depending on Vinicius in many ways. Like not just not just his running behind defenses, but also him uh, carrying the ball, doing the passing combinations. At this point, it's kind of amazing because Vinicius has acquired like this kind of composure under pressure and marking that is just beautiful. And you see it all across the pitch because he has this composure now when he is in the box. He also has this composure when he is under pressure. So you had a lot of situations throughout the first half where Vinicius goes, drops deeper, and he gets the ball. And then he starts combining with teammates. And out of those combinations and his own dribbling ability, he gets out of pressure. And copying what has happened in last year's Clásicos, he also made Mingueza suffer once again, who, uh, yeah, he had yeah. he had once again a really, really bad time against Vinicius. And since we're talking about that, then we get to talk about the goal because, yeah, Vinicius going past Mingueza is another ca- ca- component of that goal. So 32nd minute, we have an, an outstanding counterattack from Real Madrid, right. like just textbook counterattack. Alaba steals the ball from Memphis, like, and just a properly good stealing of the ball, gets the ball to Vinicius. Vinicius takes out Mingueza. Then he does a really nice switch of play to Rodrigo. You always, again, you don't, people don't think of Vinicius as this kind of more thinking intellectual player, but he is, and he's developing that. So he sends a really nice switch of play to Rodrigo. And then at this point, something that maybe doesn't go into too many analysis is that when Rodrigo has the ball, Benzema makes this diagonal uh, run that drags both Piquet and Eric Garcia and clears out the whole channel for Alaba. So you have a clear channel there. Rodrigo makes the pass, gets the ball to Alaba, Alaba shoots. So all in all, a really, really nice counterattacking play where all of these involved players, Vinicius, Alaba, Benzema, Rodrigo, did really, really well. And you talk about it really calmly, but for me, even as a non-fan, that was really a spectacular goal. Yes, and I, to be honest, I kind of miss Real Madrid being. It's been a while since Real Madrid has had this kind of counterattacking capabilities. Let's put it that way. Like in previous years, they struggled. They had lost a lot of that 
a lot of that speed and a lot of that execution at, at high speed. And it's really, really nice to be able to see goals like this from Real Madrid once again. It's really like now for Real Madrid, it's really a viable plan to defend in your own half and then say, and then go on the counter. Because with a guy like Vinicius, you can actually do that. With, with Vinicius at this level, that is feasible and you can hurt many opponents like that. Sure. So halftime, we get the great Kuman tactical <laughs> tactical switch, which is Mingueza off, Coutinho on, Dest to right back, and then we get effectively a 4-2-4, 4-2-3-1 in name, but okay, 4-2-4 on the pitch, with uh, Coutinho uh, almost as an out-and-out attacker, mm-hmm. and the loss of any midfield balance. <laughs> You put it in such a such a way that yes, it is exactly what happens every single game under Kuman. It's like you're losing the game and finds a, a shape that just has the minimum amount of midfielders there. Because the way that looked, the way this looked to me was that Gavi started playing like almost less as an interior midfielder and more almost as a winger. And then you had Memphis and well. It was usually Fatih and Coutinho. Again, Fatih and Memphis alternate a lot, but you had often Memphis out wide and then Fatih and Coutinho kind of in the middle. Coutinho, I wouldn't even say he was outright a 10 because he didn't really drop deep to like collect the ball and then move the ball forward. He was more playing uh, kind of as a striker. And again, this is just uh, very, which is why we call it more of a 4 2 4 uh, the actual midfield was more like Frankie and Busquets. And yeah, this is this is really Kuman ball at its best. The classic, it's just the very direct, let's just yeah, put in one more attacker. Already. Yes, we, we've seen it for, for a while already. So your thoughts on this, Eric? Do you think Barcelona improved out of mm. this? It's 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 odd. No, they didn't improve, but it's odd for me because Kuman at the Dutch national team, he had I won't do the name because it's impossible to do it in English, but he had an assistant manager that kind of took on the role as a field coach. And he actually from the outside, it looked to me at the Dutch national team, there was a pretty good and clear build-up structure. And now Kuman has an assistant coach. Alfred Schroeder, who actually was an assistant coach of Ajax in 2018-19 with Ten Hag as well. And, and he is now kind of taking up that role as well. And I just don't see it. I just don't see it. What, what, what are the, the offensive mechanisms and how can you play this 4-2-4 every time? You know, that's basically how they started. If you remember that first game with uh, Messi as the 10, you know, and Coutinho yeah. on the wing as well. Yeah, they yeah. started with that 4-2-4 and it hasn't been working ever since. Yeah, and this is the part where, yeah, we, we keep going on the Kuman criticism because at least for me, it always feels that for, for a while, there is no tactical progress with this team. There are no lessons learned. Like, they oh. keep doing the same things that don't work and don't really learn from them. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's totally not a big deal to have... We see that a lot, you know, in the top five leagues, one manager... One field trainer who does a lot of the training stuff and runs the training sessions, like one tactical guy, you know. Klopp famously has... has a, Linders? Yeah, Linders, that's a Dutch guy, but also Kravitz, Peter Kravitz, also ah. has like a tactical guy on the side, you know. 
I read a piece about Tuchel having uh, like the same assistants for 10 years who all have their same distinct role. For example, Tuchel is really strong tactically. So he has an assistant manager that connects really well with the players. Mm. You know, it, it's not that that strange to to try to fill in the technical stuff that way, to, to fill it in a good way. But Barcelona, I'm not sure who has the task to do that. And it kind of shows on the pitch. Yes, absolutely. And going into the substitutions, yeah, I, this is, and again, this has been kind of the trend with these Clásicos with Kuman in that, yeah, there are substitutions, but the games, that, there are substitutions. Barcelona is usually losing in these Clásicos. Kuman does substitutions, and it doesn't really change the game state much. What were I thought that personally both teams were more disorganized. Barcelona became more like even more disorganized than before after the goal. Like collective structure looked even more because uh, they were defended in kind of a four-five-one. Sometimes Dest when following Mendy, he he made it look like a five-four-one, but. They looked a bit more orderly before the goal. After the goal, it was a disorder. Then in the second half, even Real Madrid also looked more disorderly. There were phases where they were trying to press more. And again, that made the team also lose some of its structure. And frankly, neither of the teams were particularly... How do I put it? Like It was almost 45 minutes of players clashing against the other's defensive line and then going back and forth with it. Nobody really having like extended possessions, nobody really pressing or counter pressing particularly well. Personally, I don't find that to be a very pretty or exciting game to watch. What did you think, Eric? I think we can skip right to the last 10 minutes, if I'm honest, because it was not very interesting to me. Yeah, and that's how it fe- how I feel about it too. Because Real Madrid, for example, even in those first uh, say in those first 30, 35 minutes of this, of the second half was still looking for the same thing. Like you try to get the ball in your own half, use your really good, uh, your really good passers to get the ball all the way over to Vinicius uh, on the other side. Do you think their defense of Vinicius improved a bit with this there instead of Mingueza or? Better, but still not great. I don't think Dest is a fantastic defender. And Vinicius, quite frankly, this season has been one of the best attackers in the world. So a couple of times he was caught out positionally. I didn't really like him there, to be honest. Yeah. And again, it's like Real Madrid was doing the same. And it kind of makes sense. Real Madrid was doing the same tactic because it kind of worked for them. So you just keep doing it. And then Barcelona just keeps trying out things without them really working. Yeah. So, okay. But yeah. this Do was a Spanish talk- game. So I can tell to you, I can ask you, amigo. Que pasa in the last 10 minutes? For the last 10 minutes, I mean, first of all, we should probably review a bit of the changes that had been happening. So, Oh, sure, sure. Go ahead. Okay, so we already mentioned the Coutinho substitution. Then around the 70th minute, Rodrigo goes out. Then you get Fede Valverde. So Real Madrid switches to kind of four midfield, more of a four midfielder setup. And then Barcelona also takes Fati and Frankie de Jong out and brings in Aguero and Sergi Roberto. All in all, what would you think about those changes, Eric? In in what ways do you think they changed the last 10 minutes? Of course, it made Barcelona more direct. But even though Madrid's defense is not as experienced as it used to be with uh, Varane and Ramos, I don't think it really scared them, did it? I also feel the same in the sense that the last 10 minutes, I mean, there was a bit more excitement in a way because you did have kind of 
Barcelona more like in Real Madrid territory, trying to get that final goal. And again, Real Madrid doesn't need to do much else because they know that they just need to get one ball to Vinicius and they have like half a chance there. So they just keep kind of defending the box and waiting for Barcelona. And that was the entire game. And as we got to the 80th minute, it felt like Barcelona had more and more control and was spending more and more time in Real Madrid territory. I do agree. That's the thing. Even in the second half, the big chances were more Real Madrid getting in those counters than, than Barcelona. So it's the same thing. Like, like you mentioned, they really didn't, even though Barcelona had more of the ball in that stage, had more control, they really weren't scaring off Real Madrid's defense that much. Yeah, I agree with you there. We did get two goals. However, before some awkward scrimmages that could have resulted in a goal and thus a point for Barcelona, which would have been undeserved for me, but still it could have happened. There was one gigantic counter-attack led by uh, Marco Asensio, yeah. who just did a really big sprint. Uh, he looked a bit faster than I remembered him, so that's good. That's good for him well. Made a shot, and then honestly... I never say this, but Vasquez really wanted it more than the Barcelona player there on the rebound because he really came from behind and tapped it in for the 2-0 for Real Madrid. Now that's, I congratulate you, Eric. Now that's proper football man commentary. Yeah, that's really, the player no, had more passion. That's honestly, I, I think <laughs> the first time in two years that I say that on, a, on this podcast, but still, he really wanted it more there. So... I think I can go on to a Dutch pundit uh, television. I, I think I can go on Dutch television as a pundit now, as I've said that. It's absolutely perfect. No, but yeah, but yeah, I agree. And I but mean, that's... Hey, 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 was it true or not? Because he really outsprinted that Barcelona player who was ahead of him and he tapped it in. He really wanted it more than the guy. Yeah, sorry. If it's true, I have to say it. I mean, the reason Lucas Vazquez still plays in Real Madrid despite his limitations is because the player in terms of, men, like he in terms of mentality is outstanding. It's like the whole, you, you, we can go back to the whole penalty scene in 2016, was it 2016? Against Atletico where he decided to take the first, uh, he decided to take the first penalty. He's that kind of player in terms of mentality. And Again, that's why he's still there. And that's why coaches love him, honestly. So so now I'm qualified as a Dutch pundit. And now as a football Twitter guru, I have to say elite mentality. That is elite mentality. We got something that was cool as well, which was the first goal for Kun Aguero in the Barcelona shirt. Honestly, a bit of a strange situation. Aguero signs because he wants to play with Messi kind of signing to keep Messi happy. Messi moves out and then Aguero gets injured the day after Messi stages in leaving party. So that's awkward, right? Anyways, he made his first goal for Barca. Yeah, and I mean, by the way, that's from a pretty nice assist from Des that actually yes. managed, to, managed to do a sprint that did put uh, Mendy in trouble, which is something, which is a statement we don't, we really can't make very often in this it's game. True. I mean, that is usually the potential of Dest. I mean, he's still a good attacker. There's a lot of potential there despite the deficits. But yeah, really nice cross into that was going into the six-yard box. Aguero appeared there, and that that's a nice goal for them uh, to finish the match. Obviously, it seemed like Real Madrid probably lost a bit of... If we do another round of proper football man commentary, 
Real Madrid lost focus and passion when they did the second go, when they did the second go. But anyways, so that's, I mean, that's that for the game. Frankly, another Clásico that I find tactically uh, disappointing and exceedingly simple. But anyways, so what are your current takeaways for Barcelona? It would be a bit boring to repeat everything we said. I think we made it quite clear what we think of the trajectory. Uh, I think, if anything, what Barcelona now really need, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's a really smart managerial hire that can provide a bit of stability, who's young, who's cheap. I know it's not easy, but that's what the club really needs now. And if anything, if they cannot pay Koeman's buyout clause, they should just see out the season and spend the whole season trying to find that manager, like Gallardo type or Ten Hag or, or what have you. Like I, I would even throw Potter in the in the in the in the discussion. You know, they really need that out of the box smart managerial hire now to get them out of shit. Yeah, I mean, to me, I guess I guess my favorite hire for Barcelona would still be Ten Hag. It just proper yeah, manager. For some reason, uh-huh. even though it's an entirely different manager than Kuman, it would be oh, we just had a Dutch guy. He didn't do it, so not another Dutch guy. You know, you know, it works like that. That's the quality of the football commentary, yes. <laughs> it's um, true. It's just how it goes. Yeah, but the thing that concerns me is that Laporta in Barcelona decided not to like not to fire Kuman because it was too expensive. But if Barcelona does not make it past the Champions League group stages, that's going to be even more expensive. And true. Barcelona, and here's the thing: like for all the for all the issues that Barcelona has. They still have really good players. The problem is that there is literally no system supporting those players. So I do think that Barcelona could generally challenge Atletico and Real Madrid for the league title, but they cannot do it without a structure. They generally need a coach that gives them structure. And yeah, that's not going to happen with Kuman. So I honestly think that if we just purely look at squad at the first 25 players, like at the at the plantilla, as you would say in Spanish, yeah, I honestly think Atletico have the best set of players. I honestly think that. Yes, I would agree. And I think as as all as it is, I think Barcelona and Madrid will be second and third to that. Yes, I mean, I still think this is Atletico's league to lose. To me, they are still the favorites. I yeah. summarize it like that. To me, they are still the favorites to win, uh, to win this league. Then now, this uh, this takes me a bit into the takeaways for Real Madrid. The I think what worries me the most about Real Madrid is that under Zidane, there were very well defined mechanisms for playing out of the back and from build up, and these mechanisms are kind of gone. I think a lot of them depended on Ramos before, and now that Ramos is not here. It's still, even though Alaba is extremely good at playing the ball out of the back, I don't really see much of a collective structure in playing out of the back. And that hurts Real Madrid a lot. Generally, like under Ancelotti, we haven't really seen much of the, like, it's been hard to see this team keep the ball for extended periods of time and do longer possessions. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because frankly, if you want to optimize for Vinicius, maybe instead of keeping the ball for longer, maybe you want to do a bit of this. Maybe you want to stay back, not keep the ball for so long, and then just send a long ball to Vinicius and let him do his job. It could be that that's the best way to go about it now. Uh, I just find it a bit 
weird because this Real Madrid team was pretty good in build-up phases, was pretty good at keeping the ball for longer phases, but we're not seeing that right now with Ancelotti. We're seeing kind of a more vertical, a more direct team, and a team that doesn't really control games. That being said, it's generally a pretty good team at creating chances, that's for sure. If anything, I still enjoyed the game. I enjoyed Vinicius, most likely. I'm not yeah. sure if I'd say I enjoyed the game as a whole. But Real Madrid still has some really fun players that is fun to watch. And they do have more structure. Like, they do have uh, more structure, especially when... Well, now they have a bit more structure in defense. They have more structure in attacking. You see, like, even little things, like, Mendy always takes, like, a very wide role so that he allows Vinicius to cut inside, like... You see the players kind of balancing each other out. There's that kind of team play that, for example, Barcelona doesn't have any of that right now. So mm. there is generally a team with with Real Madrid. It is a team with its deficits, with defensive deficits, but there are clear strengths that can be taken advantage out of. And and the interesting thing is that Real Madrid could be good at doing like a more expansive possession play. Or they, or right now, they have the tools to play counterattack and just send the ball to Vinicius. So it is a team that not only is good at attacking, but it can have, it can attack you through multiple approaches. So both heavier possession approaches or counterattack, and that's interesting. So all in all, is this team say win the Champions League level right now? No, it isn't. No. Can it win La Liga? Of course it can. It has the potential for that. So we'll have to see how it develops. Cool. Anyways, I was looking into next weekend's fixtures and uh, it's a bit of a dry weekend. So that's one more argument as to say why they should spread the games out a bit more. But I was figuring that if you are still listening to this podcast now, 40 minutes in, you're probably a pretty big fan. So you can send me Twitter DM. My name is Eric Elias. I will put it in the show notes, but you can also send me an email at info at between the posts.net. And I'd say the first one who gets a game in can uh, can decide what game we do. Two constraints. One, it has to be top five leagues. So Germany, France, Italy, Spain, and, and England, of course. And the second constraint is that Jose and I both have to know the team a little bit. So don't be uh, don't be that guy and put in like uh uh, Sassuolo against Empoli or Montpellier against Nantes. Like a top five league game, which is kind of doable for us. And we'll do that one. The first one who comments. Oh, there is a Sassuolo versus Empoli next week. Yeah, I, have, I actually have the fixtures in front of me. <laughs> mm. uh, the yeah. biggest game is maybe Tottenham against Menu, but that kind of lost. Oh my God, no, I don't, want, I don't want to review that, please. No, no, oh. no, no, no. No. Please don't make us people. In, okay, in Germany like, there was some some kind of kind of fun stuff, but it was kind of dry. So I thought that this would be a nice solution. Yeah, and yeah. So to reward but, the people that listen to the very end. The first one who sends me a Twitter DM or an email gets to decide. And yes, we will appreciate your suggestions. We would appreciate also if you don't make us review a Manchester United or Arsenal game, please. It would have been very fun if they. After we complain about Kuman for like 40 minutes, the first message I get is, yeah, Barcelona, Alaves, go do that game. Jesus Christ. No. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for listening. Honestly, uh, we do it also for you. I do it because I like Jose, because I like to talk about football, but also because we see 
there is a very steady base of people that keep listening, whatever games we do. So that's Somehow. amazing. Thank you for that. And if you want to, you can influence the pod a little bit. So send me a message or an email and we will do that match. All right. And as usual, thanks, Eric, for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening until the end and for supporting it and for being a loyal fan base that still kind of listens to this podcast week to week. We really, yes. appreciate, we really appreciate that. And True. yeah, see you guys next week. All right, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.